You are listening to the JCN Clinic Podcast. The JCN Clinic Podcast is a place where nutritionalists Jessica Cox and Carissa Mason get real about nutrition and living a healthy life. They share with you their passion and their clinical knowledge for a fun, no BS approach to looking after yourself. Please enjoy today's episode and don't forget to subscribe and iTunes. Welcome to another JCN podcast. You're with Jessica and Carissa. Carissa. <laughs> I'll just say your name yeah, for you. It's okay. <laughs> we're the nutritionists at the JCN clinic. And today we're going to talk all about gluten. One of our favorite topics. Gluten, the good, the bad and the ugly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. So in relation to good old gluten, there's a few topics that we want to cover. We want to talk about the diet in general we want to talk about how we use it within the clinic as well in regards to a gluten-free diet and to why. Um, we'll definitely want to discuss healthy versus a um, non-healthy yeah. version. <laughs> testing, definitely talk about testing um, and also talk about gut permeability, inflammation and zonulin testing as well. Yep. Sounds good. So to get started... Um, Carissa, tell us, what what is a gluten-free diet? So, Jessica, (laughs) basically, well, I suppose on a real basic level, we'll just say gluten-free diet is a person who, or a diet without gluten-containing grains. So we're pulling out wheat, we're pulling out barley, we're pulling out rye. What have I forgotten? (laughs) Nutrition 101. (laughs) What's the other gluten? Yeah, so a diet predominantly fit free of those um what do you think about the oats scenario yeah Yeah. i don't know i just i sit on the fence and i read the research for and i read the research against and then i'm like the ones that say oats are you know only contaminated with gluten depending on how they're processed and i do look at the protein Mm. structures i think it um of you know oats the gluten um protein structure of oat as opposed to wheat but i think it really comes down to I guess the person's tolerability. Yeah. I'm less yeah. likely, to be honest, less likely to pull oats out as a long-term thing. Um, yeah. Gluten and well, gluten. So let's say wheat. Um, wheat definitely, I'm happy to pull out straight up. Um, yeah. Then probably put the person on a gluten-free diet with the depending what's going on for them. With maybe the inclusion of oats. Yeah, the inclusion or the intention to maybe yes. bring the oats back yeah, in yeah. at it sooner rather than later. I guess. How have you found with clients, like in regards to that? Because I know, as you were just saying, mm. it's more individualized. Like yeah. sometimes you'll have a client that's really bad on gluten, but yeah. they tend to be able to tolerate oats. Yeah. But then, have you found some clients that even with gluten-free oats, they've gone out and bought a popular yeah. brand of gluten-free oats and they're just like, it's turned my stomach inside yeah, out. Yeah, I can't yeah. do them. I, I, like I know I have. I suppose you probably have as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah and definitely. I think too, it depends on, I seem to find, obviously because gluten reacts on so many different levels, like I tend to find what I have seen, I guess, is even sometimes they'll bring the oats back in and maybe not notice too much of an issue and then they have an issue. Yeah. So it's, I don't know if it's then it's got, if it's got to do with, um, you know, obviously, well, obviously, it's got to do with gut inflammation or just maybe the tolerability of yeah. the oats in the gut at that time. And yeah, it sounds yeah. so complicated, but yeah, yeah, and also different proteins within the different mm. grains, right? Because mm. once you start breaking it down, like there's all these different types of proteins within the spectrum of gluten itself, without going too much into the yeah. science of Literally. that. So <laughs> mm. you know, there might be 
certain grains within the gluten family that someone's reacting to more or yeah. their immune yeah. system's having more of a problematic response yeah. to than others. Well, so, I've, got, I've got a client who we pulled them off gluten and all their GIT symptoms went away, like they were quite good, but we brought oats back in because they missed oats. Mm. Oats were a no-go, but funny enough, they can have a really good quality rye bread. So yeah, right, yeah, interesting. So, and wheat's no-go. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's that's such. That's why I ask. It's really important, I think, to yeah. highlight the differences between people yeah. in regards to how mm. gluten is accepted in the body by some and not by yeah. others. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Cool, love it, love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess in regards to the gluten-free diet in the clinic here, I mean, we specialize in gut health, so we do see a bias selection Percentage. of the community definitely. coming through the door. And we do, I think sometimes people think when it comes to what we do that we're just going to chuck everyone on a gluten-free. Gluten <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no gluten, no dairy. And it's certainly not the case. No, I think definitely we not. definitely don't put everyone immediately on that. We probably put a high percentage it's of a people. Very, exactly. <laughs> there is certainly a lot of people that are coming through with gut issues mm. and it is an approach we use. And often we do, I think, use it in more of an elimination style yeah. um, but then we do also push further with testing if yeah. need be but yeah. I think in regards to an elimination style with gluten it's, it is an old fashioned approach but it's definitely one of the best approaches yeah. if you do it with a, an actual practitioner to find out like where you stand with gluten yeah. and I think I can honestly say I could probably mention not clients' names clearly, but if I think about every client that I've seen and how many people have come in three weeks later after their first consultation, mm. I could pick two people that have actually said after I pulled them off gluten, there's been absolutely no difference yes. in my digestive symptoms. Yep. I, two people. That's yep. it. And I'm just like, I literally, I think my jaw hits the desk. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and That's second, interesting. Secondly, it's like, I hate you. <laughs> I hate you eating your rye bread. <laughs> your big white bun <laughs> that's right yeah but like so just even for different reasons so sometimes it might not necessarily be that people present with an issue to gluten there might be other stuff going on but even it's just like a baseline for giving the gut a break from the inflammation that gluten causes on whatever level that may be because yes. let's be honest the more research that you and i listen read and the more podcasts we listen to from well-researched speakers yeah. like people who are up there in this field of gut health and yeah. you know gastroenterology and stuff and there's just gluten's just nasty in the <laughs> gut like i'm just trying to pick my words really carefully here. but i just think and that's what i say to some people I'm like look you're not really presenting as someone who's definitely problematic with gluten like i definitely think maybe there's other things going yeah. on for you but just to give your gut a break yes let's when there's inflammation your, when already there's at play yeah and other stuff going on even like mental health yeah things from that perspective like gluten like obviously we know the relationship between that but it's quite often not clear yeah to our clients but just yeah. let's just give your gut a break and see what happens yeah for um, sure yeah. And that is, I think, going back to why we advocate it as such or use it within the clinic is because of the extensive research that's now, well, now available, but also through, I think, years of clinical experience, yeah. we've seen that gluten is inflammatory. Not yeah. everyone has a long-standing inflammatory response from it, but yeah. 
when you do ingest gluten, it is causing a level yeah. of inflammation yeah. and it's about how your body deals with that. Yeah. But some people, it's not an issue. It's like, bam, dealt with, gone. Catch you later. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> See you later for the next inflammatory episode. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not even an issue. But when we're seeing people come in who are already compromised, they've already got a lot of inflammation, yeah. then why um, put them on a diet that's going to be heightening inflammation? Yeah. So and I think... I think a reason behind it too, like, because obviously we're talking about inflammatory and non-inflammatory foods. Yes. Like, obviously, all grains to some degree have levels of, you know, inflammatory response in the gut, mm-hmm. or, you know, some level. Um, but so do a lot of other foods. But it's yeah. not about let's pull out every inflammatory food. Yeah. It's about prioritizing um, what inflammatory foods we can do without. Yeah. And still meet our nutritional requirements. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a really good point. Like, people will go like coffee's inflammatory, meat's inflammatory. Like I'm sure they can pick a fault with every kind of food on some yeah. degree and find a yeah. reason we shouldn't be ingesting it, depending on the the group of people that you talk to. But it's about prioritizing. What's, yeah. what's easiest to pull out and can be most easily yeah. replaced. Like we've got gluten and non-gluten grains, so why not use the non-gluten yeah. containing grains, get That's their nutritional it. benefits, their carbohydrate benefits. Yeah. But gluten, in saying that, gluten is highly inflammatory. Like when you're having, (laughs) when there is a problem with gluten, as opposed to like the inflammatory nature of, say, having too much coffee in someone's diet or so forth. Do you know what I mean? In relation to how destructive (laughs) gluten is to the villi. And yeah, yeah. (laughs) Coffee's not like running a lawnmower over your villi and in your intestinal tract. And I think too, like when you look at the more systemic spread of what gluten can potentially do, like it's not just at the gut level. Like we start looking at other inflammatory conditions. So how it affects Mm. obviously, you know, your neurotransmitter formation. Obviously that's happening in the gut, but a lot of some of it is, but you know, that's level of stuff, but inflammatory conditions like arthritis and yeah. other stuff where, you know, gluten seems so far removed from what could be triggering that, but yeah. it's probably so much of the cause yeah. for a lot of people or at yeah. least big contributing factor. Definitely. So Yeah. Well I think that pretty much covers why <laughs> we um use a gluten free diet so much in the clinic. But that's a really nice stepping stone to healthy versus a non healthy mm. diet, which we're probably <laughs> both a little soapboxy passionate about so yeah well obviously with anyone that comes through the door we put them on a gluten-free diet when needed we are massively then about ensuring that that diet is nutritionally balanced and that they're getting their gluten-free containing carbohydrates from really nourishing sources and that the diet is still nicely balanced it's really dense in lots of plants and it's ticking all of those right boxes mm. for us. Um, and unfortunately, because I think gluten-free diets have become very, very trendy, very popular. It only takes a walk down the supermarket aisle to see that in the health food, health, health. in inverted commas, <laughs> health food section. There's a lot of crap gluten-free products. Oh, there's heaps of it. There's as much probably crap gluten. Sometimes yeah. I, even if you compare the like... I've had done this with clients and you can look at the, let's just talk about bread. Like that's yeah. a pretty easy one to pick. And you look at the list of ingredients on a gluten-free, the back of a gluten-free, mm. and then you look at, the, say, the list of ingredients on the back of, say, a, a Helga's bread yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. If you can tolerate gluten, get the Helga's. Like I know. the stuff that's on the gluten-free, sometimes <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, really? Like, I know. what is that? Well, I must admit that majority of clients even in initial appointments where you're not trying to completely overwhelm them if there's one thing i can ask them to find outside of a supermarket is their bread i'm like please can we consider even if it's a delivery like you know the supermarket options 
there's 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 there are go-to if you need to but yeah (laughs) but the you the problem is that Mm. the gluten-free produce that's out there in regards to being marketed as gluten-free i think 95 percent of that stuff is still made on refined alternative gluten-free products right we're getting lots of white whether it's rice flour and tapioca's potato starch and those in moderation mixed with other flours that are more fibrous and nuts and so forth are okay but not when it's these like big loaves of bread that people are consuming instead of their normal bread or their gluten-free biscuits and their gluten-free crackers Mm. and yeah I find that most of the gluten-free alternatives are actually less fiber dense than like they would be getting from their Normal wheat options grain, in the yeah option if they're choosing the right wheat-based bread definitely yeah and let's be honest too like because we're dealing with let's be honest <laughs> it's not like you to be honest <laughs> yeah, yeah me never speak my mind a lot of the gluten-free breads like we're trying to Fix gut healthier. Yeah. And they're basically like some of those breads you might you're throwing in just a big hit of starch into a bacterial compromised environment. Yeah. Like quite often I've had clients go, I reacted so strongly to yeah. that bread. And I'm like, it's could be the bread, it's also your gut bacteria, <laughs> but let's just basically let's not have that bread and maybe yeah. choose something that's a little bit better quality. Yep. So Exactly. Mm. So I think yeah, gluten free, there is some amazing alternate grains which we do use a lot with our clients. Buckwheat. Yeah. <laughs> Buckwheat is probably one of the most favourites, right? The mm. quinoas and the millets and the amaranths and a bit of brown rice. Mm. But then I guess we use a lot of the starchier veggies as well. We would yeah. throw those in there. Um, and there is some beautiful products that are out there, but that's, I guess, about education and learning yeah. where to find those too. Yeah. It's just a really frustrating market because... Well, it's just, it's the same <sighs> with anything. It's like as soon as someone jumps or as soon as seems to be like, you know, mainstream media and marketing and anyone jumps on mm. anything that's potentially even could be healthier, yep. they kind of destroy it by yep. bringing crap into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It is, yeah. but it's and it's just like so. A lot of people will go gluten free, and they're not necessarily in a better place than what they were. Like they might yeah. feel a little bit better, maybe gastrointestinally, yeah, maybe. That's right. But are, is their are their food choices healthier? Are they meeting mm. their nutritional requirements? Another one is I find is a really common thing for people to go. I'm going gluten free. Is they um, confuse the gluten and non gluten grains just with bread in general and mm. so their idea of gluten-free is well i'm just not eating bread yeah true, and then true. they don't actually consider all the other things that gluten and wheat are yeah. in as products or byproducts or yeah anything like that so one mistake is there they pull out bread and for a lot of people bread is their main source of carbohydrate and then they yeah. start feeling like crap yeah um they've got no energy and they're like well this gluten-free thing's rubbish it didn't work it's like well <laughs> it's not again it's more, i guess where we come in i suppose but so we actually just pulled out your main source of carbohydrates and so no wonder you've got no energy, but you could replace that with a good source of gluten-free yeah. carbohydrate and you would pr- a whole grain source and you would probably find gastro- gastrointestinal, you feel a lot better, but energy-wise that yeah, will for sure. be fixed as well. Um, I think the, the moral of the story or the discussion <laughs> with this one is that if you think you have an issue with gluten, I think it's really valuable to think about getting some prom- professional guidance yeah. on how to construct a gluten-free diet that is really about yeah your individual needs to ensure everything's nice and balanced and you're getting the right alternatives in there so you're not ending up eating just a whole lot of gluten-free crap yeah yeah exactly (laughs) you're not starving or you're not eating a lot of i've got a a lot of people Mm. pull gluten out 
and remove that carbohydrate source, but then eat a lot of other sugar. And yeah. it's just like, cause yeah. cr- you know, anyway, it comes back to balance. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so testing, Yay. which is something we do a lot here mm. at the clinic. Um, gluten definitely falls into that spectrum, but there's a bit of a um, diverse spectrum of testing as Absolutely. well these days because it did used to be all about celiac serology just either you're celiac or you're, you're not, not. <laughs> and i guess unfortunately <laughs> there are still categories of um general medicine out there that do still prescribe to that but it's becoming i think more and more understood that there is actually like a non-gluten Being celiac <laughs> sensitivity that's happening as well so there is your celiac testing blood tests that's going to test you to see whether you've got the antibodies present um, potentially raised iga it's going to look at all of those markers and then be like yes we think we have you you have celiac then um from there from i guess more of a gastroenterologist point of view or standard sort of gp they'd send people off to confirm that with a biopsy um which is sort of considered that gold standard isn't it for a true celiac disease for us a lot of the time so much of the time when we have clients come in here they're they're often at more of the end of their yes (laughs) tether's the right word they've they've been down a lot of different pathways with gps and gastroenterologists and so forth and they'll have everything going on and they're being diagnosed with, say, just IBS. And it's a bit of a like, well, just live with it situation. And when we go through everything in their initial and we ask them about gluten, they'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm, I've been tested. I'm so it's like, I'm fine. Yeah. So they've always, in most cases, would you say, been tested for actual like true celiac true disease? Celiac disease yeah. So that's when we step in and talk to them about the fact that there is celiac, but there is also gluten sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah. And varying degrees of it. Exactly. And um, thankfully, there's ways to measure that now too. So there is food intolerance testing, which we use a lot in the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll probably talk about that more at another point, yeah. which is for IgG and IgA food intolerance testing. Um, and it does have gluten and wheat on it. Um, and gliadin. wheat, Yeah, gliadin and so forth. But it's really not the best test for that. I kind of wish that they'd take it off the test. Yeah, I do too because I yeah. think you do it and it's just like, well, in the perfect world, obviously we'll talk about this test in a second, but you do, for people who, who really need to see on paper that they've got an issue with gluten, like some yep. people are just happy to come off it, I think. But for yep. people, that we do have our clients that need to see on paper that there's an yep. issue, otherwise they don't see the point in taking it, which I completely understand. Yep. It's a lot of, it can be a lot of work work make a big yeah. change like that um but the glu- it's sometimes a bit misleading because they get their food intolerance testing back mm. and wheat and gluten aren't really registering mm-hmm. on that and you're just like damn it <laughs> <laughs> well you show them their test yeah, and they like, see it and yes, they're like oh great i can eat bread i can eat bread again i'm like well no, actually, actually. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have we said that? Well, actually, I try and pre-warn them now. Like I do when as well, it, yeah. I just say, look, if if gluten doesn't register on this, you yeah. can either choose to do the gluten sensitivity testing, or just based on everything that you told yeah. me and everything that I know about yeah. gluten, we'll keep it out for a while. Exactly. See why we heal your gut and do whatever That's you need it. to do, and then you can try bring it back in. 
I haven't really found many people that want to bring it back no. in once they start feeling good. And yeah, that's it. It's just such a classic thing. Like, you can bring it back in and they might be okay for a day or two. Within, by, you know, sometimes it's straight away, but then mm. they're bloated mm. and their moods are affected and their motivation's yeah. low and good old gluten. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do wish that they... I, sometimes you see it register and obviously yeah. it's picking up on a different pathway to the more traditional pathways. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it'd be less confusing for clients if it yeah. wasn't on the test. you're trying to explain yeah. like, you're spending this money for a test, but, and I know we're looking at all the other foods, but just ignore the gluten. I know, just because, ignore that. Because <laughs> if it doesn't come up there, it's going to come up somewhere else, I guarantee. <laughs> yeah, like. that's it. So we use a gluten sensitivity panel for testing um, mm. through doctor's data, and that's relatively new. I think we've been using that for a year or two, Max. Yeah. Would that be right? Yeah, I think so. I don't know if it's been Ish. around for a little bit longer yeah, than that, but enough. that's how long we've been using it for. I'm bad with time, but... But essentially, it's really great for registering an actual gluten sensitivity. So yeah. it actually breaks down more of the antibodies that mm. are commonly raised if there's a sensitivity to gluten. But then it also breaks down the wheat as yeah, well and looks well, at wheat sensitivities. Important. So what we love about this is that through the different reactivities of those pathways, we can look at it and go well, you're definitely more gluten sensitive or actually, no, this is more of a wheat, wheat sensitivity, sensitivity. Yep. which is fantastic. Um, you do have to have had exposure to yep. gluten and unfortunately it needs to be in the diet quite heavily. Like it's not, if you had a gluten-free diet and you're like, oh, well, I'll just, just eat a couple of slices of bread a few days before, like it's not really enough. Although in saying that some of my clients have done a little bit of a, exposure coming off a gluten-free diet for that test and you'll see them registering some results but it'll go i don't know if you've seen this it more that it pushes it's still in that negative area but it's starting to spike so for someone that hasn't had gluten and they've just had a little bit of it and it's starting to register it's like okay we can see where this is yeah, going okay, yep. or often you know you'll get you can see where we're getting a registration of a results starting to go from like a negative into a positive and you yeah. can see all right at the moment you're not gluten sensitive or you're not pushing towards celiac but if you keep going down the pathway you're going yeah. this this area here yeah. is going to get higher yeah. and higher and higher yeah. and you're going to go into yeah. a place where it's going to be really bad, bad. <laughs> really bad <laughs> no it's gonna it's gonna be way more inflammatory yeah so i yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say that's kind of something I've noticed, even just with the food intolerance testing. Like a bit off topic, but not even so much to do with um, wheat and gluten. But things like dairy, where you can clearly see the person's got a problem with dairy and they've pulled it out themselves and mm. haven't had it say in their diet for a while. And there's just so many telltale signs there that dairy is an issue. And then you're like, well, if you want to see it on paper, you need to bring it back into your diet a little bit. And you get their food intolerance mm. test results back. Yeah. It's sort of pushing it that midway. Yeah. And it's just like, if you had, you can just, you feel like, well, I do say it sometimes. I'm like, I can almost safely guarantee you that if you had have had dairy in your diet as a yep. common food all the time, that this would be yeah. like the Richter scale. You've just been eating enough to trigger a bit of a yeah. response here, whereas... For sure. No, I can like account yeah. to that from mm. first-hand experience. Like, yeah. I've done food intolerance testing twice, and when I first did it, I still was on dairy and had a super high reaction. 
And then the second time I did it, I hadn't been on dairy for years and years. And I think in the week leading up to the test, I ate a little bit of goat's cheese and that was it. Yeah. And it was the test in the dairy area was flatlined as if I was fine with dairy. It had mm. a tiny spike in the goat, goat milk yeah. area. Oh, good. That's a good Yeah, yeah right. which was really interesting. Super so, interesting. you know, without a trained... Um, practitioner brain as such yeah. I guess looking at that you could get those results and go oh You're cool dairy, I'm gonna start guzzling down some cow's mm. milk again yeah. which I think is kind of important to come back to the testing any type of testing that we offer at the clinic because I, I know I've got a lot of clients and that have done these types of testing through other practitioners mm. and they just get given their results by email mm-hmm. or handed to them and they go away and there's no interpretation of the results there's yeah. no diet set up post results yeah um to make sure all their nutritional requirements be met and that's so important yeah like if you're going to pull out any food group whether it be wheat gluten um dairy whatever it is you need to make sure that that's been replaced with something adequate from a nutritional perspective so yeah. you're not setting yourself up for deficiency states yeah yeah i know it drives me absolutely crazy i know (laughs) just take a deep breath and but it is actually super common like there's Mm. nothing worse than being given results of these types Mm. of tests which essentially turn your life upside down from a food point of view and not knowing what to do and the thing is that's where compliance becomes a problem because people get these results and they try and do it themselves mm. and they can't and they're like oh it's too hard yeah. and it's like well actually it's really easy if you yeah. just have the right education yeah. so the right toolkit. Yeah, yeah definitely so i think like as far as testing goes it's with there's without question is celiac testing but we can text we can test sorry yeah. for gluten sensitivity yeah but aside from that the third option is an elimination style elimination which i style think diet. I personally think I tend to use with gluten, probably elimination style more so because you know what, probably more financially because if someone's investing already in food intolerance testing and comprehensive CSA (laughs) and SIBO, you're already clocking up some cash for them there to spend. And it's like, well, gluten's a no brainer. Gluten, we just cut it out. It's only (laughs) one area. We can cut it out and then at a date we can reintroduce and your body will tell tell us if it's an issue. It's not like saying, Let's just cut out these 10 foods and see yeah. what happens. Let's it's... just pull veggies out. <laughs> <laughs> no veggies for you. <laughs> That's, like that. That's it. <laughs> so, yeah, don't um, – yeah, if you're, if you're listening and you're kind of fall into that category of you're like, oh, I feel like gluten just really gives me grief, but I've been tested for celiac and I'm just like, yeah, think again. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, the last – test i wanted to mention which is again relatively new yeah you probably know more about this test than is, i do to be honest and i i don't i haven't actually utilized it I yet so I've listened to a podcast about yeah, it read about it but i haven't actually yeah, used it which is zonulin testing so it's a new i say new but it's you know within the last two years again yeah. um a really well-known gastroenterologist called Alyssa fasano um you can look him up and get heaps of information in regards to zonulin but essentially with testing zonulin it gives you an idea of whether there's increased gut permeability yeah so the higher your zonulin is it means that you're getting that really increased state of um, I, I really don't like the term, but leaky gut. Leaky so you're gut. getting your your junctions in those. I was so say, tight <laughs> gut junctions. Yeah, <laughs> but people will have heard of leaky gut. So yeah, your those cellular, nice little tight cells that should be nice lined and up and, and just not, not letting, letting anything anything, through. anything nasty through. 
um, are becoming way too open thanks to the aid of zonulin. Um, and macromolecules are getting through and eliciting way more of an inflammatory response. So it is another marker um, that has been correlated very, very strongly with gluten as a trigger. Um, And particularly in regards to celiacs. And there's some pretty amazing studies that correlate high zonulin with celiac and then drops in zonulin with taking celiacs off gluten and then also with gluten sensitivity so they've actually tested both spectrums which i thought was pretty cool um so it is a test that can be done outside of i guess the testing we were just talking about and also i guess i love um the idea of zonulin too is because it's yes there's a big red flag over gluten as soon as you're seeing that but it also straight up tells you we've got gut permeability issues here and we need to think about the gut barrier and we need to think about treating the gut barrier and the mucosal layer in there so it's like that whole other side as opposed to just you know what foods we got to pull out what have we got to do with bacteria it's like we've got a we've got an issue here guys we've got got (laughs) got a big issue and you know and that's starting to look at quite chronic inflammatory issues throughout the body Systemic. you mentioned before stuff like arthritis well, and mental one, health and so well, another forth one i just thought of too just while we were talking just while you were talking then is we haven't even touched on it. i know it's a whole other topic but probably worth mentioning for people that are listening to thyroid and gluten. oh yeah yeah like whoopsie, whoopsie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just like i think that blows people's minds yeah that no one talks about well, obviously in our sphere, yeah it gets talked about like yeah but i think more in maybe the more orthodox feel to a degree that potentially there's not mm. so much of an acknowledgement at the relationship of yep. a, a gluten-containing diet and the effects of that with thyroid, yep. thyroid complications and autoimmune thyroid conditions. Yeah. There? And it's it's huge. Like the research is just yeah not even debatable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. Even. <laughs> Thank you for remembering that. So, I totally forgot so about anyone it. anyone that's got, you know, borderline thyroid or anything like that, listen to this really gluten and something that you probably want to consider yeah. um, as a potential aggravator. We're pretty Definitely. strict where we can be. I mean, everyone's their own personality at the end of the day and they'll do what they want. But I would say with a lot of our clients with thyroid issues, we're like, gluten's, gluten's got to go. <laughs> yeah. Wait, have you got someone it's... in your family that's got a thyroid issue? Gluten's gone. <laughs> was yeah. that distant aunt, uncle? Yeah, cool, gluten's gone. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, autoimmunity links are just so strong between yeah. the two. Yeah. Um, and particularly with celiac, like it is an yeah. autoimmune, autoimmune condition. Yeah. So psoriasis is another one yeah like oh god we just opened can yeah yeah um is it the what is the i forget i can never say it the psoriatic arthritis like the psoriasis arthritis you know us with pronunciation so bad so Um, i see i would say psoriatic but i'm probably saying it wrong (laughs) but yeah huge links between that obviously um undiagnosed celiac disease yeah psoriasis and gluten yeah all those three yeah it's just such a massive liver stuff oh Oh. this goes on yep definitely gluten's just plays such a big part in managing those kinds of conditions for people obviously the more especially with autoimmune conditions there's other for sure areas to address but yeah gluten's right nuzzled in there and we can put in our show notes maybe a couple of links to some quite prominent studies in relation to that with thyroid and zonulin and so forth i think that'd be helpful and if anyone has any questions about that they can obviously hit us up leave us a comment or email us or social media um yeah because it's 
it's kind of opening can of worms there, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just throw that in at the end and That's sign it. off. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you wanted to no, cover in regards to the, no, the fun of gluten? The fun of gluten. Yeah. yeah. I think we've covered it. It is beautiful as far as baking goes, I must yeah. say, as a baker. I that beautiful, <laughs> that stretchy, beautiful gluten nature that you get when you're kneading doughs and with breads and so forth. Like, oh, <laughs> I just think it's so, it's just so amazing. And as you know, with gluten-free baking, trying to replicate that, it's mm. so hard. That's probably why I'm an epic failure. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I always just think of bread. like pizza dough and just pushing it out and seeing that beautiful stretch mm. that you get. And it's just like, oh, lovely gluten. That's it. Well, I think that's it from us for today. I hope you enjoyed. And as we said, if you've got any questions or any comments, or definitely any let us know. And um, we'll look forward to chatting with you next time. Yeah. Adios. Bye. Ciao. <laughs>